0: Types of vaccines: then attenuated and inactivated. The inactivated ones do not induce quite as strong a response, and so often you are you have to deal with uh, multiple vaccinations, or what we often refer to with children as booster shots. Okay. Uh, we also have uh, toxoid vaccines. These are not against a living organism. These are vaccines against. Usually a protein or cluster of proteins, but they uh, are counter. They counter the toxins produced, not the organism, but the toxins. Uh, these are sometimes useful for some bacterial uh, the disorders, uh, but these are definitely for the toxin. And there are some vaccines that are a combination of the two. Okay, so uh, recombinant DNA has is something that's being used to try to. Proof. So you know the, the, oh, this is a harmless attenuated pathogen. Um, a virulence gene is deleted. So here's your virulent pathogen. We delete a virulence gene from it, and then we can use those to make a a vaccine. That's an attenuated organism at that point. Okay. Uh, level B here. What is done is we have the antigen. We isolate the DNA that codes for that antigen. We insert that into another cell, and we make lots of copies of the antigen protein, and we can use that to develop the protein, the vaccine. Um, a vaccine. Another way here is uh, down here. The uh, DNA coding for the antigen has been isolated. It's inserted into a virus or another cell, and that virus or cell. Uh, presents that pathogen's antigen to the immune system. Uh, and then of course then the last one down here, is we insert it into a plasmid, we put the plasmid into the individual, those cells pick up the plasmid and then uh, synthesize that antigen and, re- and respond to it. These are, this is not something that you would probably see being done yet. So recombinant DNA is being used Try to improve vaccines um, is probably not very yeah, something you generally hear about. This is uh, uh, this was from 2012, but this was the CDC's recommendation for vaccination. It's a lot of shots. Okay, uh, some of them are probably more important than others. Um, certainly. Uh, most of these are the, the decap yeah, one here is really important. Those are really try to make sure, but you'll notice you get a series of six shots, and then once every 10 years after that. So if it's been more than 10 years since the last time you had one, uh, and you have anything happen to you that uh, puts you in a position to maybe be infected by one of those, you're going to get another TM. Uh, that's, uh, of course, today the HPV the, uh, shots are recommended, starting at as early as 11 years, up to about uh, it says 12, but they will go up to 15 or so with those. Uh, hepatitis B is generally given at birth, and then a couple of doses later. Rotavirus, I don't know that that is commonly given, uh, it should be, it is a... Uh, one of the predominant causes of diarrhea. And infants or young children at you know, one month, two months old, three months old, they are not in a position to, to tolerate diarrhea very well. Uh, they just simply dehydrate so rapidly. Uh, so that is that. Hemophilus uh, influenzae, uh, pneumococcal, polio, of course. Uh, flu shots are annual. Some people choose not to ever get them. That's a personal choice. Uh, measles, mumps, and rubella—that's pretty a standard shot for most people. As is the varicella, and then there's a hepatitis A. Which uh, now, I would imagine that there are many children who do not get the complete series of every one of these. My kids got the oral polio. Why did they quit giving that? Because it was a live attenuated why they stopped. So it wasn't as good? Oh it was very good. It had the potential though of causing polio or some people getting polio. Since they have a a good inactivated one uh, they they chose to stay with that because there's almost no chance of developing polio from the vaccine. Now not on here of course is uh, smallpox because there hasn't been a case of smallpox in number of years now, and so they no longer recommend it. That vaccine is a live vaccine also, and there is always the possibility. I remember when I was in the military, I got one of those, and they said, well, don't, And uh, we had a young child, and they said, don't, you know, until that scab's over, you need to stay, you cannot do a lot with your child. There's always the possibility, of that and that's uh, right. But you don't see it on here anymore, because it's just generally not done. Anyhow, this is what CDC recommends. If you're going to a pediatrician for regular checkups, uh, probably getting most of these. Not that everybody does that. And families cannot afford regular checkups, well care. I thought, well, what do I need care for? You know, I mean, that's, that's not an uncommon. Okay, uh, and here's some of the other, uh, whole list of them here. It tells you what the vaccine types are, how they're administered, uh, rotavirus is oral. Almost the, most of the rest of these are uh, by injection, uh, either into the muscle or just or under the skin, depending on the, the type. Uh, one that we highly recommend uh, these days uh, to uh, college age individuals, and by the college age, we're really talking 18 to 25 so that age range is the meningococcal uh, that is uh, it's pretty cheap insurance uh, meningococcal disease still kills a number of people every year and uh, college age individuals are somewhat seem to have some susceptibility to that uh, we used to do a video in lab about that uh, they that stopped using it as it's pretty old now but uh they they talked about the vaccine and, and uh the fact that uh, and people who had ended up getting an endococcal disease and survived it but had lost fingers you know and, and that because of the damage to the circulatory system said, you know if i didn't know, they said well i didn't really know there was a vaccine if i had really known about it it cost less than a pair of shoes you know, I, you know not, not cheap shoes it's like about eighty dollars, but still, that's you know, they've done it. Unfortunately, it is not mandated; it's not a mandatory vaccination. You leave it up to the parents, the, children, the child, to decides which. You know, that's, that's kind of how it works. Uh, a couple of others that aren't uh, I don't see on here besides the flu. There's also a, uh, a vaccination uh, for uh, pneumonia. Um, not, not the homophilus one but uh, oh there it is PCV um, that's usually recommended for, for people over 65 60-65 somewhere in that range and then there's uh, also now uh, a, a vaccine that is somewhat recommended uh, for uh, oh shoot uh, it's right there Come on, pull it out uh, for um, uh, the uh, herpes shingles, yes. Now, that one, uh, it uh, was my doctor explained to me, and his, he, said it's, he said, it's up to you, but uh, he said, you got to look at it. Here's the cost. It costs you about 100 or some dollars. Uh, insurance may be part of it, depending on what kind of insurance you have. Okay, he says, a... Probably your chances of getting jingles is less is less than fifty percent. Right. It's one in three. You had uh, you had chickenpox. Yeah. Yeah. And then he said, and then the, the immunization itself is not one hundred percent effective. So said you got to decide. You know. So can you get it if you've never had chickenpox? No, uh, unless you uh, you were immunized. Yes. In that case, uh, they would say that you probably could not. Should not get the shingles vaccine because that's going to be uh, uh, that, that's going to give you the chickenpox organism. Yeah, I'm I'm from a, a time period where everybody got chickenpox. <laughs> it was just part of growing up. Everybody, and, and the earlier the better. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. In fact, that people did. Yeah, because if they were younger, the younger the child was, the less virulent. Usually it was, and you, know, you got it over with. And you didn't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, that's all long gone now. For better or for worse, it doesn't matter, I guess. Uh, and then we have some others here: uh, anthrax, uh, rabies, typhoid. There's cowpox, yellow fever, and anybody who's been in the military has had lots of vaccinations. Okay, plague. You, you, just endless uh generally anthrax <coughs> is not given uh except to people who are likely to be uh exposed and, and uh, pretty much that's been the military so far uh, or veterinarians who work around cattle who are more, or people who work with leather are i mean you know not not that you buy leather already cured already you know processed but people who are doing the cleaning of the hides and and, and all of that because they are run the risk of being uh, exposed to antibiotics. Okay, so uh, active immunization, um, there are some issues. Um, there are some, you know, it's you're, you're not going to get away scot-free for most of the time. You're going to get, it's either going to hurt on your arm, usually where they give them, more often than not. Um, it's going to be sore for a day or two. Um, there's a very minor risk for anaphylactic shock if you should happen to be allergic to something in the immunization. It's like all immunizations, they ask you usually, are you allergic to chickens? Uh, because often, chicken eggs are used to produce these. Uh, it's either that or cell cultures are used. Uh, there is a little virulence if you have an attenuated virus. You may get a very mild case. There are a lot of allegations, as it says, about um, vaccines causing autism. Uh, That has pretty much not been verified, Uh, but there are many people who are still using that as a reason not to vaccinate their children. And it's just just one of those things that society has to live with at this point. Um, But there is no document. Even the original paper that talked about that has been withdrawn by the author. Once those kind of attitudes get out there, it's very, very difficult to change. So no no reason, there's been no substantiation that that's that's the case. Uh, Passive immunotherapy, as we mentioned, is the administration of a serum that contains antibodies already made, so you get immediate response. Uh, You are, your body's going to react to that serum because it's not part of you. And so you're going to get a reaction to that. So those antibodies are not going to last long. They're going to degrade very quickly because your body's going to treat them as foreign substances. Uh, And it does not generate an immune response by you, an active immune response, so there's no memory cells created. But there are times when you cannot wait. You need to have an immediate response, like with uh, snake Okay? You can't wait. You need to give it immediately. Or uh, box jellyfish down in, in Australia, those are uh, dead in twenty four hours if you don't treat. Okay, uh, you know you don't you don't have time to mess with those. You just do it immediately. Okay, so uh, passive immunity you have initially high antibody levels because we dumped a bunch of them into you, but then it goes downhill. Okay, if we do an active immunity. You have no protection immediately but it slowly builds and then if you do boosters it can build to be quite high so that's kind of the difference between the two now uh, the immune system also suffers or we suffer from immune system issues that are referred to as hypersensitivities which is a, a and a response that's totally out of whack with what the uh, antigen is. It's an exaggerated response. Uh, it's a response to something that's not dangerous at all, as far as we can tell. But since everybody makes their own sets of receptors on their B and T cells, just by random chance, you may, your body may react to something that nobody else does, or hardly anyone else does, as though it were an antigen. Okay. And uh, there are four basic types of uh, hypersensitivities that occur. So type one, uh, this is called an immediate hypersensitivity. Uh, This is your standard allergic response, standard allergies. Like right now, if you're allergic to maple pollen, uh, I don't know a lot of people allergic to pine pollen, but I'm sure there are some out there. Uh, It won't be long. Okay, we do have one here. not a good place to be living if you're allergic to pine pollen. Um, And the oak pollen will be following here shortly. Uh, My wife is very allergic to that. Uh, And you get a very rapid response. Now, what generally happens here is you're getting an inflammatory response, okay? Remember, the inflammatory response means that we, histamine is released, in this case, usually by mast cells in the mucous membranes. That causes the the arterioles and in particular the capillaries to dilate, which increases the blood flow they become more permeable, so the fluid leaks out of them and you get swelling, edema, the uh, mucus becomes thin, you get a runny nose, you get itchy eyes, you get the typical allergic response. Okay? Um, depending on the individual, it may they, they can happen very, very quickly. Right? Now, we call them allergies, and allergies are simply immune responses to something that's Really not dangerous. There's absolutely nothing in ragweed pollen that's going to hurt anybody. But if your immune system re- responds to it, then you will have an allergic response. Okay, this is the type one hypersensitivity. It happens quickly, and it usually lasts as long as the allergen is present. Okay, so uh, at this time of year, a, a good rainy day will. Uh, cause for people who have this, whatever is out there at that time, will usually give them some relief for a day or so before it builds back up again, okay? All right, so uh, the antigens that stimulate this, instead of calling them antigens, because even though that's what they're acting as, they're referred to as allergens instead. All right, now, this is the typical allergic reaction that many people get, and if you uh, have that, you may have gone to uh, a a clinic and they, uh, and they will check to see what you are most allergic to. Has anybody had that done? Okay, so you go in, and they give you all the little injections under your skin. They write on your skin what, what each one is. Uh, you usually get a response within five ten minutes, uh, and they measure the, the size of the, 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 the bump and how red it is, and they, from that they can determine which things you are most allergic to. Uh, there will be many of them you will have no response to. Or then there's other people who say, I was allergic to every one of them. You know, that you will get some response to most of them because you are putting a foreign substance under the skin, but they're going to measure the size of the wheel, as they call it, and, um, and then you can be treated. Uh, they give you a series of, which lasts for three to five years, depending on what it is, of anywhere from weekly to every other week injections. They start off with very, very low amounts. Usually they call it a vial. We've got a vial with this concentration. Uh, They give you the shots until everything in that vial, which is for you only, has been used up. Then they'll go to a new vial that has a slightly higher concentration. And then they run through, and they keep doing that until essentially what they're doing is getting your body used to the, the allergens so that you don't respond to it as strongly. They're very effective for some people. I, I've never really run into anyone who said it was not effective at all, but you get really tired of going and getting needles stuck in you frequently. Uh, my wife went through it for three years. And it helped, it very definitely helped. Was, she was really tired of it by the time the three years. <coughs> Uh, so, so there there are some treatments for that. Now, we also have, and so this is basically what's happening: the allergen is presented to uh, an antigen-presenting cell. Uh, the epitope is presented to a helper cell, which activates B cells. The B cells make antibodies. These antibodies attach to mast cells, and then the, and, eosinophils and basophils. And the next time the allergen comes around, these guys release all of their chemicals mostly histamines. Okay. That's that's why you get, so you have to be sensitized first. Usually the very first exposure you don't get much response to because uh, your body takes some time to be sensitized to it. Okay, and so uh, then later on, subsequent exposures, we release histamines, kinins, proteases, prostaglandins, all inflammatory chemicals. And you get your uh, Mostly it's mast cells who do this uh, and, you, uh, and you get your allergic response. Okay? It's not something you can do a lot about. You can take antihistamines uh, which counteract the histamine and that makes it less bad. Okay? So when you have the immune system causing the problem, your only resort is to in some way Subdue the immune system. Otherwise, there's no other way to stop what's going on. Now, a local inflammatory response, uh, it's not such a big deal. But now, remember what's happening in the inflammatory response. Capillaries dilate, fluid leaks out of them, you get edema, swelling. Now, imagine that happening over much of the body of an individual. Fluids going to leak out all over. You're going to get swelling in many parts of the body. Uh, you know, face gets all puffy. The cheeks get all puffy. The neck swells in the neck. It presses on the uh, respiratory, uh, and you have difficulty breathing. And on top of that, when you have a uh, when you take your circulatory system, which you all know is a closed system, you suddenly make the volume of the system bigger, and then you're losing fluid out of it your blood pressure pumps. And that is the shock part of the reaction. And so you can get, uh, uh, so th- this was localized, we talked about, uh, but you can get a systemic type, which uh, we would call a, um, uh, let me go down here, I'll come back to those in just a minute, uh, which is an anaphylactic shock. Okay. Um, there, uh, Lots of things can cause these. Uh, so localized ones are usually mild. Many uh, can cause asthma. You can get inflammation on the skin, which is kind of like hives, okay? uh, some common allergens, dust mites, uh, pollen, mold spores. Uh, this is the what you can get on the skin from an allergic response. Okay, systemic. Many of the mast cells degranulate all at the same time. You get an acute anaphylactic response, it puts your body into shock. Shock is always dangerous, no matter what's causing it. Uh, this just happens to be one of the things that can cause it. And the counter treatment is epinephrine. Epinephrine reverses the effects. And so people who are who know that they are susceptible to this will carry a oh, little epinephrine pens with them, or have usually on, their, on them as much as possible. Uh, if you're allergic to bee stings, for instance, you've only got a matter of minutes to stop that reaction. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and, and of course, obviously, people allergic to bee stings really get frantic when there's a bee around, even though the chances of the bee stinging them are very, very low. Uh, they, you know, they know what's going to happen. Uh, and you basically take the EpiPen and you jab it into your thigh, you right through your clothes and everything. It automatically injects the epinephrine, and then at least you'll live long enough you'll live and you can get to the hospital. Uh, so uh, it can be bee venom, it can be peanuts, you know, peanut allergies, food allergies. Uh, some people are allergic to uh, crustaceans, various crustaceans like crab. Uh, like that Uh, you just don't know what it might be the problem is you never know what it is until the first time it happens you can have that kind of a reaction to certain medications Uh, penicillin is not unusual my ex-wife was allergic to penicillin Uh, so you know whenever she went to the doctor you know when they if you go to the doctor and they ask you are you allergic to any drugs if you know you are you better tell them because you don't want you don't want the risk Uh, the other one that's not uncommon is allergy to sulfate drugs, uh, the, the uh, trimethatins that we talked about back before. All right so this is a, uh, a type one immediate hypersensitivity All right. and this is uh, a little bit of what they do when you are testing for it uh, this one obviously has a stronger response here there's a strong response right here and so, you know, that's how they determine what should be in your shots. They do. Okay. So, what can you do to prevent them? Well, if it's a food allergy, you can't eat that food. That's just that simple. Uh, if it's a, a, a pollen or something, it's really kind of hard to stay away from that entirely. You, you know, you, it's not like you have the option of never going outside and living in behind a HEPA filter during that time period, most people don't have that as an option that's what you would need to do and of course then you can do the immunotherapy all right then there's a type 2 called cytotoxic hypersensitivity now in this one body cells are destroyed by the immune system and that's what causes the problem okay Um, Blood transfusion is a really good example. If you give somebody the wrong blood type, and I mean, we had the blood mobile here today. And they're doing uh, uh, blood. It has to be typed accurately because if you give the wrong type of blood to the wrong person, then they will have antibodies against that. They may have antibodies against that type of blood. It will cause them to clump, and when blood tra- when, uh, when blood cells start clumping in the capillaries and the arterioles, this is Good. Okay. Um, and the destruction of fetal red blood cells from from an Rh incompatibility would be another example. Okay. Uh, in this case, what's happening uh, is that and here's your uh, transfusion. Here, uh, this is uh, the patient is type A, makes type B antibodies. Okay. Red blood cells with the B antigen are given. The antibodies attach. These uh, cells start clumping, and then they start. Uh, to, uh, uh, break open release their hemoglobin and this could be fatal the early days of blood transfusions this was not completely understood they knew that if they gave blood most of the time it seemed people seemed to get better but sometimes they died it, until they figured out what, exactly what was happening uh, you know they, they just didn't really honestly know uh, and i'm sure you went through all of the blood typing back into that again type a type b abo you know, the whole abo system the uh, uh, rh system which is a completely different thing from the ab and you know okay all right uh so the rh system can uh, do this basically if mom is rh negative she has the capability of making anti-rh antibodies now with this one you don't generally make them until you're exposed whereas with the a b and o system if you're type a you already have antibodies against type b um, and so uh, so mom is negative the child is very likely positive since 80 percent of the population is positive and rh uh, is a uh, uh, the rh positive is a dominant over negative is the absence of a marker on the cell. Um, And so, uh, with the first pregnancy, it's not a big problem, because during a normal pregnancy, the blood of the mother and the child never mix. The placenta keeps them separated. Stuff diffuses back and forth. The blood never actually mixes. However, at birth, there's going to be hemorrhaging, particularly when the placenta is delivered, when it is Pulled, literally pulled out of the walls of the uterus and delivered and it's still attached to the kid by uh, uh, the umbilical cord and you got to get that out of there because if the placenta if not all of the placenta comes out it will get infected and that, that will result often in the death of the mother so it's really really important that that be done all right well at that point when the two mix mom's system is now sensitized to the rh the next child and she makes rh antibodies next child, if it's Rh positive again, those antibodies will cross the placenta and they will start breaking down blood cells in the fetus. Uh, Now, today this doesn't happen much because we have uh, uh, an injection that you can be given. I actually have two of them. Uh, And what it does is it makes sure that it it essentially vacuums up all those little Rh things and prevents the mother's system from ever being exposed. And so it's not so much of a problem. But the, the point here is, uh, and you can have some drug ones, uh, okay, uh, drugs and platelets, uh, complement and attach to those, they can lice them. All of these are caused by destruction of body cells by the immune system. So type 2 is always caused by the immune system destroying certain body cells, whether it's blood cells or really matter what cells. Now, type 3 is a little bit different, although it's close. In this case, when antibodies and antigens attach, we call that an antigen-antibody complex. And normally, these are cleared out of your system by phagocytes. Antibodies attached to antigens usually attract phagocytes, they engulf them and they remove them. In some cases, this does not happen effectively and then you get an inflammatory response from the complex. Usually they tend to accumulate in certain parts of the body and then you get this inflammatory response. Uh, uh, This can occur in the kidneys. You get uh, glomerulonephritis, which basically starts uh, blocking the glomeruli from functioning properly, uh, which can lead to death, obviously, Uh, in that case. You can also get systemic reactions, like lupus. Lupus is any given episode of lupus is not systemic normally. It's in a specific location, uh, but then and it'll go away. And then sometime later, which might be weeks, months, maybe a year or two, you'll have another episode, but it'll be in a completely different place. Okay. Uh, And that's what makes it so hard to diagnose. Because one time it might be in a uh, muscle in the leg, the next time it's in uh, uh, an elbow joint and the next time it's in uh, the muscle in the arm and uh, it makes it very difficult to diagnose. Uh, What's happening though, is that antigen-antibody complexes are being produced we think by a reaction against the DNA from dead cells. That's the latest thought about what's causing it and uh, and then you uh, end up with a problem okay because this can happen anywhere it could happen in your liver it could happen in your kidneys it could happen in your heart muscles uh, you just don't know where the next one's going to be the treatment for it is suppress the immune system if The immune system's causing the problem you suppress the immune system now fortunately for lupus that is temporary most, most people. Uh, the most common drug used is prednisone. Some of you probably heard of that. I hope you haven't had need to take it. It's pretty uh, strong. It's a steroid drug. But what it does is it suppresses immune response. Steroids in general will suppress immune response. Okay. Now, the downside now it's effective treatment. Very effective treatment. The downside is it leaves you more vulnerable to other infections. So generally, if uh, people on prednisone are on it, and then as quickly as they can be weaned off of it, they're taken off. Because it's not something you want to be on long-term. Okay. Uh, some of the damage in rheumatoid arthritis is caused this way, although it's generally considered an autoimmune disease, and we'll talk about those as a separate uh, category. So type three, immune complexes. So antigens, antibodies, Phagocytes remove some, they don't remove them all, complement attaches to those, you get neutrophils, you get inflammation, and then you get damaged uh, to the blood vessel walls and then you, then you, you have a problem. Right. You also get it in the lungs, you get it in the glomeruli, uh, during uh, rheumatoid arthritis it may be deposited in the joints or in the uh, in, Joints. Um, rheumatoid arthritis can end up as you know, somebody. This is, this is what can result from that. Rheumatoid arthritis is really, really bad. Now, today there are drugs to treat it, more drugs than there used to be, but all of them in some way are suppressing immune response because its the immune response is causing it. Now, how else can you treat it except by suppressing them? I have a student in one of my other classes who. Has rheumatoid arthritis. And she missed two weeks of class because they put her on a new drug and she had a reaction to it. Her system had to get adjusted to the drug. What she can do about that. Okay, so lupus is another one, as I mentioned. Treatment is with corticosteroids of some type, immunosuppressives. Uh, this is uh, a common facial response from lupus. Okay, and then you have type four. This is completely different than than the other three. This does not involve antibodies. This involves T cells. This is a T cell response. T cells is called the delayed response because normally you don't see the symptoms for 24 to maybe 72 hours after exposure. Uh, basically, antigen, antigen-presenting cells, and then you get cytotoxic T cells, which migrate to the site and start, and that's what causes the problem. Okay. Uh, the tuberculin response: now, uh, if you've had a tuberculin uh, test, uh, that is a delayed hypersensitivity. Now, that's used to determine if somebody has <coughs> to tuberculosis. Is what it's for. You inject it a little bit under the skin, the vaccine reacts with the um, or either the vaccine or the cell reacts with the tuberculin that's put under the skin, you get a, a hard wet, you know, red swelling as it says, and this is caused by memory T cells that are left over from the first time you were exposed. So all it tells people is that either you have tuberculosis or you have simply been exposed to it in the past and you do not have it. They don't know which it is, but there are certain jobs where it is required that you be tuberculosis-free, most medical professionals require that. So this is a quick test, and if you come up positive, it doesn't mean you have tuberculosis, but then they need to go further to test you see. Uh, This is kind of what it looks like. uh then there's contact dermatitis uh when i was growing up my mom had contact dermatitis as something that was in certain kinds of uh, dishwashing detergents Her hands would be all red and they'd break out and her skin would peel she ended up having to wear rubber gloves all the time when she was doing anything with those, those uh, detergents uh, that would fit into this category okay. uh, it's an allergic contact uh, dermatitis um, If it gets bad, you get little uh, fluid-filled blisters to form. Uh, They don't spread it, but they're, they itch like crazy. And poison ivy is another one, poison ivy is everywhere. Uh, You've all seen it, even if you didn't recognize it, but it's absolutely everywhere. here. It can grow in a little shrub, it can grow as a vine on the ground, it can grow up the side of a tree as a vine. and they can look very, very different. But toxicodendron is certainly here. Uh, now, some people do not respond to it, at least not yet. Uh, it is thought that continued contact over time will sensitize you to it. and then eventually you'll start to respond. Other people, um, if somebody is burning poison ivy to get rid of it, inhaling the smoke can cause problems. And that would and it's, uh, so some people are very strongly uh, allergic to this, or hypersensitive. Again, corticosteroids, uh, for typical poison ivy on your hands or something like that, you just wash them really well, and then you can get some some creams to put on there that dry it out and prevent it from weeping. The weeping isn't gonna really hurt anything, it's just a pain. Um, it doesn't spread. Okay. Once the chemicals are off your skin, that are on the leaves of the plant, it's not going to spread anymore. So, this is a delayed T-cell response. All the others were involved in antibodies. This is the one that's different. And this is a little bit of what it looks like. You see the, the weeping blisters, as they referred to. Um, and like I said, they itch. Now, uh, generally speaking, unless you get a lot of poison ivy over much of you, it's not dangerous. I did have one student oh gee, how long ago? Been at least ten years ago. Uh, came to class and his left arm, from the wrist to the shoulder, was bandaged. He had gotten into poison ivy and he had scratched it and it had gotten infected, and now he had an infection of his arm. So it. it But you live in Virginia; it, it's here, it's everywhere. You have to learn to recognize. Um, this time of year, of course, it hasn't leafed out uh, yet. The leaves do come in threes. Um, let's see, I don't have a picture of it here, unfortunately. Um, but uh, in the fall, they turn uh, really pretty red. Early, they're from to they get white berries on them. They flower. They get little white berries. The birds like the berries. The birds apparently don't get poison <coughs> uh, My dog didn't. The dog would go running out through the woods. I know you. she was brushing up against poison ivy. Never seen to have reaction. Now some dogs do. Uh, do have a reaction. So that's a, uh, a contact dermatitis. Uh, the other example of this is rejection of uh, transplanted tissues. And that is a T cell response. Um, basically, um, you have foreign MHC proteins on the surface of these cells that have been transplanted onto or in you. Uh, your immune system is going to respond to that. Now, the closer the two match, the lesser the response. So when they do a transplant, they are looking for somebody with as close a tissue match as it's. Been. Ideally, identical twins have an exact match, because they're genetically the same. Um, Your uh, parents are half the same. Your siblings are one-fourth the same. Uh, Once you get beyond that, it gets difficult to have success. Uh, So, so these are different kinds of graphs. Okay, a xenograft uh, here uh, is taking tissue from here, putting it on that for cat, and mouse tissue, how, how embarrassing that must be for cat, okay. An isograft is when you get it from an identical sibling or uh, a clone. Allograft is uh, from another member of the same species, and then xeno means cross-species. This will not succeed, this will fail. This one may or may not. This will be successful. Over here. So we do donor recipient matching, and generally speaking, the individual will be on some type of immune suppressant for the rest of their lives after they receive the transplant, which then brings up a whole set of other issues. Then. Uh, but if you ask somebody, you want to die now or maybe five years?" Handle the answer is usually 57. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Can't stop. She had problems with that's your only real option yeah okay so there's just uh, a chart with the differences between the four types of hypersensitivities. Okay. okay and again with type four we're doing immunosuppressive drugs glucoprotocoids uh, those are relatively uh, those are things that your body produces Cytotoxic drugs, Cyclosporin is a drug that is sometimes used. It doesn't inhibit all of the immune system, all of the antibodies you already have still function, but you can't make any new ones. Uh, and then there's some the lymphocyte. Okay? And there's another little charge that tells you a little bit about those. All right, now, so that is uh, things where your immune system is uh, causing you a variety of problems. Another area that the immune system can cause problems is what are called autoimmune diseases. These are much more common in men than women. They're more common in in, the older you get. Uh, But basically, antibodies or T-cells are being produced that react with normal body tissues. And you send a cytotoxic T-cell to tell it to go kill a particular tissue, you give it its, its description. When it finds it, it's going to kill it. That's what it does. No intelligence here, you know, the way they work, um, We don't know all the reasons why uh, it happens. Uh, there's all of these things here that are guesses, uh, estrogen, maternal cells crossing the placenta, colonizing in the fetus, and therefore they're actually foreign cells, that, but it may be a long time before the body figures that out. Uh, fetal cells crossing the placenta to mother uh, would, trigger that, there could be environmental factors. So there's a whole lot of things that could cause this. There are two categories of autoimmune diseases. Uh, one is systemic, obviously it could be anywhere, and the other is organ-specific. Okay. Uh, hemolytic anemia is one. Some people produce antibodies against their red blood cells. Nobody is entirely sure why they do this. Uh, other than it often, a correlation is that it often follows a viral infection. That doesn't mean that's the cause. It's a big difference between causation and correlation. Uh, and that's important to understand. Just because one thing happens and then another thing happens after it, does not mean that the first thing caused it. It may just simply both have happened, uh, And so we don't always know what actually causes it. But hemolytic anemia is one example. Uh, and. You can uh, have endocrine glands as the target of this. Uh, the pancreas in particular, uh, type 1 diabetes, which is the insulin dependent type, is thought often to be autoimmune. The immune system has destroyed the cells in the islets that produce the insulin. Why? We don't know. But they, they have. Okay. Uh, also, there are thyroid gland uh, issues with this as well. Uh, so, there. are so it could be a single, single organ, essentially. Uh, Graves' disease, that's uh, the thyroid one. You get excessive production of thyroid hormone, which then you end up with growth of the thyroid. You get quite a lot there. Um, there's medication. Sometimes you reduce part of the thyroid. But it can be, it, once it's discovered, it can be treated. Um, multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune. In this case, T-cells destroy the myelin sheath of motor neurons. Uh, You get impaired uh, vision, speech, and neuromuscular is the most common effect that you see. Uh, Rheumatoid arthritis, as we said, it's partly a, a hypersensitivity, but it's also caused by the fact that your immune system is treating Cartilage in the joints, that nice smooth covering, as though it was in some way an artificial, you know, and, and a foreign substance. Um, so, so, those are, and that's relatively systemic. Uh, those two, the others are individual organs. Now, we can also have immunodeficiency diseases. Okay. Two kinds primary immunodeficiency means. Generally, it's inherited. It's something you're born with. There are many individuals who are born with some part of their immune system non functional okay? So that is a primary. Secondary uh, ones, or acquired deficiencies, are caused by something in the environment at a later time. Okay? Uh, and usually have a very specific cause. Uh, so primary ones uh, this is the worst of the group uh, severe combined immunodeficiency no t-cells or b-cells well you've got a problem now this is the the, the guy who lived in the bubble and it had to be a movie about a number of years ago um, the only possible cure for this and there has been some success is a bone marrow transplant have but what they have to do is they have to kill the bone marrow that's already there and then they will transplant new bone marrow and and hope that the new bone marrow which will come from a donor that doesn't have the disorder uh, will will function properly Uh, there has been some success with that Uh, then there's some who have uh, only B cells missing some have only T cells missing you can see very quickly, you know it from what you know now about the immune system. Each of those has its own set of problems. These are primary. Okay? Individuals usually born that way. Uh, we have some uh, ability to treat them, not very good yet. And then the other option is you were born with a perfectly normal immune system, but at some point in your life, you acquired a deficiency. Of course, the most obvious one is uh, HIV infection, which causes AIDS. AIDS is acquired immune deficiency. I mean, that's what it stands for. Uh, but it can be caused by malnutrition. It can be caused by environmental factors, exposure to some certain kinds of uh, chemicals, exposure to radiation. Uh, can all cause this. Right? Uh, HIV is not the only possible way. Uh, but basically, uh, you gradually have a loss of your immune function. HIV, which we'll talk about in detail when we get to the circulatory uh, diseases, uh, simply over time reduces the number of other T cells, and when they, when you finally get to the threshold, of really not having enough, then your immune system cannot respond as it normally does, and then all, and HIV does not kill anybody directly. It's always some other disease, some other thing that would normally not be a problem. But when you can't fight it off, then it becomes fatal. Okay, questions about disorders. I'm going to go ahead, since we have a few minutes, and introduce the next section, which is on serology. Uh, On Monday, I will post a, a, uh, we'll finish serology by Monday, I'll post a take-home exam over these chapters. Uh, I'll have to look on it. I don't think I'm putting anything on so it'll be the three chapters on community and community businesses. So, uh, one, two, two, uh, and I'll put a date. You'll have about ten days to work on it. Pardon? Okay. Uh, but I'll post it on Blackboard by Monday. Uh, probably on Monday. And then we'll finish this up and we'll start on Right on into of different organ systems. I don't have that many class
1: uh, You do not need to answer
0: it online. You can print it out and answer it like that and turn it in. Or if you want to do it online, that's fine. But it won't be something you have to. Okay, in a previous lab, you all defined serology as the study of serum of various kinds. And so basically what we're usually doing is looking for either antigens or antibodies in the serum, okay, because that information can tell us something about what's going on. Uh, The presence of antibodies means the person has been exposed to a particular disorder. Uh, If you test a large number of people in an area, it can tell you whether how widespread that disease is. can help figure out a diagnosis for something. Okay, uh, now there's several kinds of tests that can be done. Okay, first one is called a precipitation test. Uh, this is kind of like what we do—the old-fashioned blood test. Okay, blood type test. And you have to mix the antigens and the antibodies in the correct proportion. If you have too many of either one, you will not get a good response but if you have just the right number of each, what will happen is the antibodies will cross-connect with more than one antigen, and you'll get these clumping arrangement, and they will precipitate out of solution, okay? Very obvious when you see them. Um, And so this is what's happening. Uh, So if I don't have, uh, this is the amount of antibody, this is the increasing amount of antigen. If I don't have enough antigen, Obviously, I'm not going to get a reaction because there's you know, hardly anything for the antibodies to attach to. i get optimal, I'll get this kind of formation. If I have way too much antigen, each antibody is going to be occupied with two antigen molecules and they will not plump. So you want to have, you need to have a, an approximate equal amounts or correct amounts. Now, frequently the way this is done is this is an auger plate and you make a little well on each side. Not all the way through the auger, just into the auger. And on one side you put antigen molecules, and on the other side you put antigens, and they will of course start diffusing through the auger. Somewhere in between, the proportion of the two will be the right level, and you'll see a, a line where you, the precipitation is occurring. It isn't always right in the middle. It might be a little bit toward one side or the other side. But that, that will give you your precipitate. Okay, And that way you don't have to calculate. Just put some on either side. And you let them do it themselves, and it, and it works very well. Um, here, the only thing they've done down here is they have more than one antigen. Um, they put four different antigens here. You put somebody's serum here, and in this case, we it reacted with three different antigens. Okay. Now you don't necessarily know which ones, but you can then figure that out. Okay. So this is called immunodiffusion. And you're getting a precipitation reaction. It's called immunodiffusion because we're letting it diffuse through the outer. You can also measure the cloudiness of uh, a solution by seeing how much light goes through or by seeing how much light is reflected. They're kind of two sides of the same, same thing. Um, you don't see that done very, very much. But that can give you an indication of the amount of, uh, of uh, antibody antigen complexes. More commonly, we do a glutination test. Uh, this is cross-linking in antibodies. This is exactly what we do with uh, he- hemagglutination That's the red blood cells. Okay, so put a blood sample in two little wells on here, or just on a test slide. Have to be fancy. Here we put anti-A serum, here we put anti-B serum. There's no response here. So that means the person uh, does not have type A blood. Yet. Or I, antibody A again. okay? So there's no agglutination. Over here, when we've added the anti-B serum, we get agglutination here. Uh, it's a positive result. That means they have type B cells because of the anti-B reacted
1: The one you see down here
0: has three wells instead, and here you test for A, B, and RH. So this particular person is B positive from that test. We used to do these in lab years ago, but uh, the disposal of uh, human uh, fluids has become an issue. Not so much for us, because if you only work with your own catch something you already got, not a big problem. But somebody has to dispose of them and that's where the problem comes. There are very specific rules about disposal. But that's an agglutination reaction. Most of you have probably seen that. Uh, Here, this is a combination of agglutination and a titration. And so antigen has been added, but you notice that we've done a serial dilution. And then down here, the the last one, there was no antigen added at all. So then we add the uh, antibody and we see that we get a strong reaction here. And as you go down, you get increasingly few. And when you get to this level, I get no response at all. And from that, then I would be able to calculate roughly what the concentration of that material was. Um, A neutralization test. This is usually done with viruses. Um, what you do is you mix the virus in the serum and you add it to a cell culture. Now we can culture human cells, uh, in glass dishes and they will grow and cover the bottom. Uh, and so you mix these two and then you add them to the cell culture and you look to see how many of the cells are killed. Are any killed? Are they all killed? Are they just a few of them? A lot like plaques with viruses. But it will tell you whether the individual has the virus. Okay? So we, we've uh, mixed the virus and the serum. Um, we put it in with the cell culture, and we know whether you are exposed to that particular virus. Um, you can do a viral hemoglobination, which is very similar. Some viruses will pump with the red blood cells, and you can use that much like you do with the blood type labeled antibodies, okay? We do that, we uh, we do this in some other classes here. Uh, This gets you into uh, ELISA type tests, okay? So what you do is antibodies are linked to something that marks them. It might be a fluorescent dye that under exposure to ultraviolet light will fluoresce. Uh, You might use, uh, link them to some kind of enzyme that when you put a substrate in, it'll change color if it's still there. And so we will look at this next time. We'll look at direct and indirect uh, and uh, kind of go over what they are. This is basically a, an ELISA type test uh, or the basis of doing ELISA. So we'll go over that. Uh, we'll do a little bit about, you know, blot, blotting uh, point of care testing and some recent developments and then we'll be done with that. But it's, um, it's probably information uh, that's fairly important to understand what the testing measures are, although if you're going into uh, nursing, you're probably not going to do any of these yourself. Uh, most of these uh, are done uh, one of two ways either point of care, which is like the ELISA, where all you have to do is, is uh, mix them usually in a little kit. And if you get a color change, it tells you one thing, if you don't get a color change, it tells you something else. Uh, and you can do that right on the floor, you don't have to send it to the lab. Anything more sophisticated usually goes through the lab. The home pregnancy test is like essentially like that. Yeah, and anybody can do that. The rapid-strap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the rapid-strap test. Yeah. The rapid-strap test. More and more of these tests are being brought to the floor where the nurses just do it directly and it doesn't have to go through the lab. And they're pretty easy to read. The color changed or it didn't. It's not hard. I'm assuming you did it, right? Most of them are set up in kits. It's pretty hard to mess up. OK, so we'll, we'll finish that up next time. And uh, we'll go have fun and laugh.